This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Talking Transfers for the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Toby Cudworth, standing in once again for Scott Saunders while he's away sunning himself on holiday. And I'm joined by 90 Min's transfer correspondent, Graham Bailey, and 90 Min writer, editor, Tottenham podcaster, and just all around good guy, Sean Walsh. Um, we're a week into the summer transfer window, officially speaking, but I think it's fair to say this is shaping up to be one of the busiest most unpredictable and frankly wild transfer windows of all time. Uh, we've got Premier League money being thrown around left, right and centre and a deluge of players that we'll get into potentially heading to the riches of Saudi Arabia. Not quite so many riches on offer for this podcast, but Graham, how how are you? How are things up in the northeast? Yeah, surprisingly quiet with Newcastle at the minute. They're a little bit involved in, in Madison, etc. But yeah, um, soon to be involved heavily. But yeah, the um, the window is firmly up and running. And Sean, another outing for you on the Talking Transfers patch. How's your week been? And I dare say how are your hay fever levels after what's been like the pollen week from hell is probably how I'd describe it. Yeah, the rain this morning was quite a welcome change. Um, I'm having a good week. I want a free prep subscription this morning in the office. It's going really great. Lovely. It's been a while since we've actually talked about weather. That used to be our uh, common introduction to the podcast, but we won't dive into it too much. I think everyone can appreciate it's been hot lately. But uh, we're here to talk about transfers. And on the agenda today, we've got Arsenal and their pursuit of Durian Timber, Declan Rice and Kai Havertz, maybe a little bit on Romeo Lavia as well. We've got Chelsea's moves for Villarreal forward Nicholas Jackson. We're going to talk a bit of Victor Rossman, Andre Onana and Moises Caicedo. We'll also talk about the glut of players potentially leaving Stamford Bridge to head to Saudi Arabia. And we're going to talk about Ruben Neves, Carl Walker and Calvin Phillips. And then we'll do a little bit of Manchester United uh, and Tottenham. Sean will talk us through their pursuit of a new goalkeeper. We'll touch on James Madison and where we're currently standing with Harry Kane. But before we get into it, a quick reminder to please subscribe to the show on all of your major podcast platforms so you can keep up to date with all of the latest transfer stories and to follow us on Twitter at Toby underscore Cudworth, at Graham Bailey, at Sean DZ Walsh and at 90min underscore football. For all of the 90min social channels, you can also read the stories we're going to discuss today on the website at 90min.com forward slash talking transfers. So we're going to kick off with a trip to North London and Arsenal. Graham, a story that's pretty fresh at the time of recording, uh, came out on Monday night that Arsenal have switched their focus. Um, I say switch their focus, they're still very much going for Kai Havertz and Declan Rice. But Jury and Timber 
a defensive transfer target in the past for Liverpool and Manchester United. Now on the radar for Mikel Arteta and Arsenal, looking to bolster their options in central defence. We saw at the back end of last season what the injury to William Saliba did to their title challenge. Where are we at with this, Graham? What's the detail behind Arsenal seemingly out of the blue moving for Timber? Um, it's a little about the blue, but they've been doing the homework on it. Um, we did a piece on it this morning. We put quotes in. Even as of last week, Timber himself said that there wasn't much going on. So he admitted last week. It, so within last week, this has happened. It's it's not a major surprise to me. I think the way it's been described from Arsenal sources is they want a right-hand version of Zinchenko. They think Timber can do that role. The one that Ben White, to be fair, Ben White did his best last year. He did a really good job. Wasn't top level, but he did a really good job. That's where they're aiming this at. This will enable Ben White then to go back in the middle because they do think Ben White is a top class centre half. And I think he's got the makings of it. Timber would allow them to move him back in there. So they see him for this role. Um, he's 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 a centre half, but he can play right back, he can play midfield. He's got everything in his toolbox to play this role that they're looking at. They like him a lot. We know Manchester United have looked very close to him. I'm amazed that United haven't gone stronger for him. I think he's a perfect fit fit at Old Trafford. He can play that role on the right back as well. I wouldn't rule out United and Liverpool getting involved in this. But as it stands, Arsenal coming at 35 million euros. Um, Ajax want 60 million euros. Um to get the deal done. So the bid almost half what they wanted, really, which isn't given what we've seen Arsenal so far this summer, isn't a huge surprise. But this will be ongoing. We haven't heard much from Timbers Camp yet, but clearly they're not going to reject the move to Arsenal. But yeah, um it's got a bit of legs in it left this one. It's not a done deal. But Arsenal have made the um uh, made the first shot across the bows of Ajax. But yeah, as we know Ajax the they're not going to be bullied into any deal. They're selling Edson Alvarez as we speak to Borussia Dortmund as well. So we don't need the money, especially after what happened last summer. God, oh, they're taking a quarter of a billion from Manchester United or close to it. Um, so we don't need the money. It'll be, it'll be a hard one to do. But yeah, Arsenal have made the move. Sean, is this further evidence of good planning from Arteta, Edu, Arsenal's recruitment team? Because Timbers and name we're all familiar with, but it's the timing of the bid, I think, and this as I've just said, the sudden interest that appears to have caught a number of people by surprise. But should we really be surprised? Because we know that Arsenal want to push Zinchenko into the inverted wing-back role or full-back role so he can slot into midfield. Timber would obviously be a very, very good signing for allow, to allow Arsenal to, to flex their system a little bit and to have three centre-backs on the pitch at one time. Yeah, it does feel like some of their moves this summer, they're trying to replicate Man City's 3-2-4-1 formation. Um, you're right, it does seem like a kind of a smart deal. Um, he does naturally fit that right-sided centre-back, right-back midfield hybrid. I was actually, when I first saw the report last night, I did think to myself, oh, yeah, she kind of would be good for that role before learning that that is what they had in mind. So it does make a lot of sense. I think it makes a lot more sense than one of the other transfer targets this window up front. Um, but yeah, this is... Arsenal for the last couple of years have been almost the kings of the transfer market. A lot of their signings have been major hits and it feels like this would be another one if they were to get them over the line. Who do you think needs Timber more? Arsenal to allow them to have this tactical flexibility or Manchester United? As Graham's just said, I think it's surprising to many people that they haven't moved for Timber yet, particularly as he's worked with Eric Ten Hag in the past. Yeah, I think you're right. I think Man United probably do need him more. I think they just need... A bit more cover at centre-back because I don't think Rafael Varane is the best fitness bet. Um, at right-back, they're still kind of... I don't think they know what they really want yet. You know, 
Dallo had a really good first half of the season and then Wamasaka had a good second half of the season. It was almost those two guys, it's two halves of a whole, whereas you think Tim would be a little bit more right if he got a lot of games there. Um, so, yeah, I am surprised that United didn't, haven't acted yet, but I thought it was really surprising as well because he was at the FA Cup final, remember? He turned up at Wembley. Well, Declan Rice and Kai Havertz, two others that Arsenal are making strong moves for, Graham, they could cost a combined £170 million all in if West Ham and Chelsea get their respective asking prices. But firstly, is that doable, in your opinion, given there's a move for Timber in the works? We're going to talk about Romeo Lavia in a minute. Uh, but secondly, where are we at with these pursuits? Arsenal have already had one bid go in for Declan Rice. That's been knocked back by West Ham. Interesting Kai Havertz mounting by the day, it would appear. What stage are we at with negotiations for those two? Yeah, it is doable, first of all. So, be the, we, we saw yesterday, we reported yesterday on 90 Min, Thomas Party's been given permission to talk to Saudi Arabian clubs who are showing interest. We reported the week before, Jorginho has interest in Lazio. You know, that makes a lot more sense. Now we're seeing all these midfielders linked. They can't keep everyone. So, it does make more sense. Rice, we're expecting um, a second bid to come in any time now, within the hour, within the day. It'll be, I expect it will be overall worth over 100 million. But I think the initial terms will be around 90. Again, won't be what West Ham want. I don't expect it to be accepted. And and that's where we are with Rice. I don't think the second bid will be accepted. I really don't. Arsenal, they can brief all they want about being confident. They were doing it all January about Caicedo and Murdoch before that. It didn't come come about. Um, you've got to remember some of these reports. Depends where the sources are coming from. And, you know, when Arsenal are confident, they do like to put it out there. And, they are doing that with Rice. We think they will get him, but I don't think they'll get him with a second bid. Havertz, similar. The price is a bit closer. I think Arsenal are going to come back in at 60 for Havertz. Chelsea want 70. They want the money back, what they paid by Leverkusen. And by Munich, as we've always said, are in the background here. They're waiting to see what the price is for Chelsea. They're not getting involved in the auction. Um I keep an eye on buying and have it. So they really know what they're doing in the transfer market. They're not going to just go in there and get involved in this this bidding war, which Arsenal seem to love. To, and they're very good at it. <laughs> love keeping coming in with these bids. They're not very good at getting these players sometimes, but they're very good at making the bids. Um, so, yeah, but Rice, I expect Rice to be... Well, what do we say? Rice should be done this month, but when it comes to Arsenal and the green terms, it's never easy. But it should be done this month. He wants to go to Arsenal. Personal terms all but agreed, as they have with all the other clubs, really. But um, it's interesting. But yeah, the second bid should come in for Rice any day now. But we don't accept, expect that to be accepted at this stage. OK, so it's fair to say that Rice is the midfield priority. With Thomas Partey, he's not going to be short of suitors in Saudi Arabia there's money to spend there. They've got the financial firepower to match any wages that Thomas Partey might want. And his exit, key to moving for Romeo Lavia from Southampton, who went down at the end of last season, Graham? I don't... Yeah, it probably is when... I say I don't think it's key, but it probably is. I think they'd rather... Of the two, I think the driver Jorginho went out the door first. Because if they were left with Partey, I don't think... Arteta would be unhappy with that. Party had a very good campaign last season. Jorginho came in, did his part. But yeah, the Lavia talks, but Lavia, Arsenal aren't the only team in for him. We, we know Liverpool like him. United have been linked to him as well. We know Chelsea like him a lot. Joe Shields, the former Southampton man, he took him there. He's at Chelsea now. So Lavia's got a, a bit to play out yet. 
Um, I wouldn't say Arsenal are favourites yet. Obviously, people say terms are agreed. Term, terms are very rarely an issue with any of these players. You know, they're all they're, they're getting big pay rises, and they're going to be. On, it's like with Jude Bellingham got Madrid. He was going to get similar money at Madrid or Liverpool wherever he went. It's a very similar case here. So Lavia may be agreeing personal terms and Caicedo, whatever it is. That's not really a major forward step, you know, in in these transfers. But Lavia, yeah, interesting one. Depends what Southampton asked for. I've been told that Southampton wouldn't be upset if he started the season with them. I think Lavia might be one of these where he's second, third in a lot of lists. So he might start the season with Southampton on August 12th. But by the time we get to the end of August, he probably will be somewhere else. But I do wonder whether he gets done early. I'm not so sure. He does strike you as the kind of player who is ready for that big move, despite just being a teenager. Um, Sean, Kai Havertz. Where do you see him fitting in at Arsenal? What would his position actually be? Because there's been rumours that Arteta sees him more of an eight or a number 10. There could be a potential for him to rotate with Gabriel Jesus up front. Or are we looking at a situation where Jesus could move to the wing at some point to allow Martinelli and Saka to not be on the pitch all the time, which is what we kind of saw last year. Bakayo Saka was... He very rarely came off for Arsenal, did he? He played the full 90 minutes throughout the season. There's a Champions League return this season. What's Havertz's um, place in this puzzle for you? I think it almost leans into what I said earlier about the 3 2 4 1 formation because having spoke to some Arsenal fans, they were kind of leading into it a little last season. Like when they're kind of the best players on the pitch together, that's almost the way that they set up, it was just wasn't as kind of obvious as Man City's system. Um, and that if he were to come in, he would almost take Xhaka's place as like the high attacking midfielder, which is basically where Xhaka was playing for the second half of last season, basically. Um, but I just really do not get it. I really... You have to be such a believer in Kai Havertz. I don't think there's many believers in Kai Havertz left. Um he reminds me so much of, I have a term where you have a player who has all these different things, like almost like a jack of all trades player, but then master of none. He's a complete forward, but he's also a nothing forward because he can have those rhymes. I think it was April, 2022, you know, when Chelsea went to the Bernabeu and really good and they ripped off kind of a long run, which eventually helped them get top four and it was looking a bit rocky for them. He can have those kind of runs. But when he doesn't have those runs, you just think, what is he doing out there? He can he can dribble, he can pass, he can shoot, he can head. He should have all these different attributes. And he's when it's not going for him, it's really not going for him. And I can only think that Arteta loves him and sees this project to work with. There's the reason why they're going for him. I don't think he can play maybe deeper in midfield. I think that is kind of fanciful. But he gives them some flexibility, I guess, if they can get something out of him. It, that's just a massive if for me because I've not been convinced by him at all in his time in England. Do you think Bayern Munich are looking at this, Graham, thinking that they are the perfect landing spot for Havertz to do this, to find his confidence again? Um, seems to me that he would be an ideal fit for them and perhaps there wouldn't be as much pressure on Havertz to deliver for Bayern as there would be at Arsenal. I think in Germany there'd be that pressure, you know, they'd have to they'd be costing a lot, of, a lot of money for Bayern, but I think they see him as that long-term Thomas Muller replacement. So they, there's a need there. You can see what role he play. It's interesting listening to Sean speak there. It sounded like he was describing Mesut Ozil to me. <laughs> um, 
so someone someone described me a few months ago. I don't know where it was our friend Harry who said to me, "It's a taller version of Meza Ozil." <laughs> it does remind you a little bit of that, doesn't it? Um, in terms of his output as well. Um, yeah, um, I think Bayern know what the what the want. And Thomas Tuchel, you know, since the moment he landed in Bayern, as we've always said on the pod and on Ninety Min, he's wanted him. He really has the opportunity there to get him. Obviously, Bayern are going to be joined to a bidding war here. And and yes. Arsenal are very confident of Havertz. They think he Arsenal is their preference. Speaking to people in Germany, they're not as convinced that Arsenal is his preference. But hey, he's had a very good summer, Kai Havertz, you know, going from Real Madrid interest to, to Arsenal and to Bayern. And I know Sean's saying not a lot of fans, but there's a, um, a lot of scouts and a lot of, a lot of um, directors of football who like him out there. He's, he's, and I know some Chelsea fans are wondering uh, whether we should be letting him go when we're being... When he's been eyed by all these teams, but um, I think it's a it's a good deal for Chelsea to get him out. I'll be honest. Um, yeah, we'll we'll see how this one plays out. I do I do wonder um, how close we are to the deal being done with him. I don't think sixty is quite enough for Chelsea, but we'll especially with Chelsea as we'll get onto later in the pod. Chelsea are managing to shift some real dead weight for real big money, so they can sit there, especially when it comes to Havertz and Mount. They can sit there and ask for all the money they want because they're not as desperate as they once were a few weeks ago. Okay, well, this seems like a perfect time to switch from North London to West London. Let's talk Chelsea then. Uh, at the time of recording, Christopher and Kunku, remember him, has just seen his north of fifty million pound move to Chelsea confirmed. He signed a six-year contract. But we're going to talk about another forward target, first of all, Graham, uh, Villarreal's Nicholas Jackson. 21 years old, already a Senegal international, scored 12 goals in La Liga last season. But crucially, he appears to be another versatile forward option rather than the traditional number nine that it appears they need from the outside looking in. Where are we at with this move? And is this as a sign that Chelsea are perhaps not going to put all of their eggs in the 100 million Victor Rossman basket that we perhaps thought Chelsea would do earlier this summer? Um, Stress that is no. They still want a number nine, very much so. I think Jackson's seen as this, this num- number two in the number nine pecking order. It, it, the, where this deal is, yes, he's got a release clause. Just Chelsea and Villarreal are talking at the moment, just to, just to stagger the payments, maybe give him a little few million euros more. But the deal is done. It's it, if that that is the plan, I can see the sense in it from Chelsea's point of view. Um, it's bad news for someone like Armando Brogia, who was hoping to come back and feature. I don't think he will. It's a, it's a huge risk. Uh, Nico Jackson. This is a player who who was a medical away from joining Bournemouth in January. He's been linked to the likes of Everton, even Aston Villa. But I said on another show, if Aston Villa signed Nicholas Jackson as the number nine, I don't think they'd be happy. Villa fans. So I think Chelsea fans are seeing him as, as a backup. And for their sake, I sincerely hope they're not signing Nicholas Jackson to be their starting number nine, because if they are, it's going to be another long, hard season at Stamford Bridge. Who do we think is leading this pursuit then, Graham? Is this a Mauricio Pochettino signing or is this a club-driven target? But I, I, it's, but I think it's a sensible one in some ways from the club, Toby, because if they have that reserve number nine in place, it's a bit like buying with Chuba Morton. If you've got that other player in place, then when it comes to getting your main number nine, you're not as driven. You're not. You can't be held over your hand to the candle. You know, in, over the flame. You can't be pushed pushed into it. You've got options there. Look at United now. They we'll get to United a bit. They're scrambling around a bit now. They don't have the options. I think it's just creating the squad there. I think Pochettino is probably a, a green light at this. I, I think that number nine, 
you know, class at Chelsea is so depleted. You know, if you don't rate Armando Brogia, what is there? There's really, really nothing there. So I think in some ways at 30 million paid instalments, it's a quite a sensible deal if that is it's going to be his role. Well, we'll talk about outgoings at Chelsea in a moment, but Nicholas Jackson wouldn't be the only player coming in at Chelsea this summer. We are expecting Chelsea to formalise their interest in Moises Caicedo and Andre Onana, two long-term targets, Caicedo midfielder, Onana a goalkeeper. Are they close to putting bids in for those two, Graham? Where are we at with those, um, with the interest? Because it's been documented for a long time that Chelsea want these players, but things slowing down, it seems, of late. Yeah, interesting. That, that Chelsea midfield is so fascinating. It is, isn't it? Um, Kovacic is going. Kante is gone. We're, we're expecting others to part as well. Uh, Mason Mount, Conor Gallagher, as it stands, we're expecting both of those to go. It, 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 we're not short of options, Chelsea, but um, it really is going to be fascinating. Caicedo, the personal terms are done. What we're hearing from Brighton's end is, and this is a fascinating change of tack maybe in the last few days, we're hearing that they might be pushing for 90 to 100 million for Caicedo. 80 million, which we thought was enough, isn't going to be enough. And that's based on their pricing policy um, around Declan Rice. Declan Rice, if... if Arsenal are going to pay 100 million. Brighton think Brighton think Caicedo's in that ballpark. They really do. So this could impact on Chelsea a bit. Whether Chelsea are willing to pay that much, we'll have to see. Um, we understand that they've looked, they are starting to look elsewhere. Not not moving on completely, but they're touching base with like some Barella into. But we know he's probably untransferable at the moment. This moment in time, I, I expect Caicedo to accelerate. But it's going to be fascinating to see what Brighton demand on his front and Onana. It's a different situation. Onana was offered to Chelsea by Piero Usilio, the inter-sporting director. He had me- he's been in meetings all year with them about Lukaku and various things, Koulibaly. He was offered Chelsea at for £40 million a few months ago, but his form has picked up massively and also the interest from other clubs. And now Inter can push his price up. It's gone up to 60 now, which Chelsea are not too keen on. And they're in this position, Chelsea, where it's probably advantageous, where they are saying to the um, Inter and other clubs who they're looking at that if they start with Kepa, they don't mind. Yeah, they do want another keeper. We know that. Mendy's going. They do need to bring another one in. But if they start the season with Kepa, it's not a disaster for them. So I think Onana, they're in that position where if Inter really need the money, they might sell, but they're not going to pay over the odds for him. Caicedo, I think, is a different one where he really is their main option. He's the one they really want. And uh, I think we'll see those talks accelerate this week with Brighton. But it's going to be interesting to see what Brighton demand. Sean, who do you see as being Chelsea's priority signing? If you had to pick one position, what do they need most this summer? What does Poch need help with? I think they need another midfielder. And I think that it needs to be Caicedo because you think, you know, Kante is going. You think Kovacic will probably go to Man City. Mount might still go. They're losing so many midfielders that have played so many games for them over the last three, four, five years. And I, I value continuity in midfield a lot. I know those three players weren't at their best last season. They spent long parts of it out injured, all of them. But I just value being consistent, being a constant, bringing that kind of continuity. I think that's so important. And you think the position Chelsea in, they're so unstable. They're relying a lot on Enzo Fernandez, came in for over 100 mil and has been, hasn't even been in Europe for a year. Like, it's, it's unbelievable. Guys, guys, they, they do not wonder. 
you know, I wonder, the really, I do really think we should rethink the Kovacic situation. Allowing him to go and join Manchester City, and it must tell him something. Say, look, if Pep Guardiola wants this guy who's going to come in and help fill the void of Gundogan, you know, are you missing something here, guys? Matt Kovacic is a fantastic footballer. He really is a genuine, I think, world-class performer. He doesn't get the credit he deserves at Chelsea sometimes. And there's a player who you wrote about this week, Toby, Andre Santos. Chelsea think they've got a diamond in the rough there. They think they've got a potential world superstar. So when you spoke about him there, Sean Kovacic, I think they should revisit Kovacic. I really do. I think, imagine, Enzo, imagine if it's a midfield of Enzo, Santos and Caicedo. They need... Who better to learn than with someone like Kovacic? I, I agree with Sean completely. I think they need to revisit. Um, I think they need a bit of continuity in there. And Kovacic would be the man to bring that. Well, as you say, experience is usually the key to turning things around when you've been through a bad patch. But we'll move on to outgoings. Graham, potentially four players from Chelsea heading to Saudi Arabia. And Golo Kante is all but done and has been for a couple of weeks. We've already touched on Edouard Mendy there. Uh, closing in on a move to Saudi Arabia. Also, two other players who look to be following his lead, Hakim Ziyech and Kalidou Koulibaly. Are they done, Graham, those deals? And massive for Chelsea, isn't this? To to save the amount of money that they're going to on the wages of those players. Yeah, um, so there's another two as well, get on to. It's about Ziyech. Yeah, his deal is done. Um, he's on his way. I'm trying to top, top of my head remember all these clubs. I think is he Al Nassar bound? I think Zayach, isn't he? Off the top of yep. my head. Yeah. Um Kulibali is Al Nassar. Correct. <laughs> um Kulibali's an interesting one. He's done the opposite of Lukaku where he had the option of going to Inter, maybe on loan, but he's taking the permanent day in Saudi. Lukaku's rejected Saudi, probably in favour of a loan back to Inter. So he's had the opposite one. Um another player, obviously Chelsea getting rid of as well, Obamayang. Likely to go to Saudi as well, Toby. So, and and the thing is with Zayech, they're not losing money on that deal at all. They're going to not lose money on Kula Valley. Mendy, they're going to make a big profit on. It's talk about land on your thing. And fair play to Todd Burley. We spoke, was it two weeks ago? He was out in Saudi trying to um, sell his wares. And he, he's doing a great job of getting these players out. And I know fans of other clubs like. Um, of the rivals, Arsenal, United, are criticising this. I think they'll be following suit, and we're seeing that with Arsenal and Party already. They, they can see a profit in Party in Saudi Arabia. I think what we're seeing is, you know, United, for instance, the Eric Baez, the Saudi, even Martial. I think we'll see a lot of Saudi links, even more, even more Saudi links coming the way of these Premier League clubs who are looking to get rid of these players. And uh, yeah, Chelsea have really landed on the feet here, guys. We've been. I can't, I can't believe, I think, I imagine Scott is pretty furious wherever he's in the sun because he was always laughing at Chelsea's the huge squad and they're, they're being given a real um, helping hand here. This is Chelsea's only real bailout option, isn't it, Sean? They would be stuck with these players if there wasn't this sudden influx and interest from Piff. They've taken over the four biggest clubs in Saudi Arabia. They're bankrolling all of this. If this wasn't happening we'd be looking at a very different summer for Chelsea, wouldn't we? This is the history of Chelsea, you know, falling upwards, landing on your feet somehow, even despite everything, you know. Um, but yeah, it just gives them so much more room for manoeuvre in the market, particularly factoring they haven't got European football next season. Um, I think that they will be good straight away. I think there is talent in that squad. I think they're going to bring in some more good players and have a good season under Pochettino. And if they're able just to not only just recoup some money, but shift the deadwood, just trim that squad right down, then that's going to help massively. 
Speaking of good players moving to Saudi Arabia, we'll just touch on one final Premier League exit that's on the horizon. Ruben Neves from Wolves. He's only 26, got a year left on his contract at Molyneux. Long linked with the number of the Premier League's biggest teams. Barcelona are also interested. But it's Al-Halal who look like they're going to prize Neves away. Sean, first of all to you, are you surprised that a player in the peak of his powers would choose to go to Saudi Arabia now or does the money just speak for itself? A little bit surprised. Um, maybe he thought the Barcelona move wasn't happening. It, like you, Whenever you, you hear Xavi talk about it, it always seemed like, it's like, yeah, he's a good player. He's like 17th on my list. But, um, but I think people forget about Ruben Neves is that you know, he was champ- he was the captain of Porto when they were in the Champions League. And then I think it was a year later, he moved to Wolves and then the Championship on these kind of lucrative terms, part of that kind of George Mendes saga when the, when he was moving all the good players from Portugal there. So I think if there was, was one player who's in the kind of peak of their powers that was to go there, it wouldn't surprise me. It probably is Ruben Neves. Um, I'm sure he'll pop up again at some other big side in the next couple of years. Um, He's too good to kind of be there for too long, I think. And Graham, from Wolves' perspective, was this the only way that they were going to get a transfer fee of this size? Because Neves has always been, feels like the bridesmaid, doesn't it, in these transfer situations. He's always been second, third, fourth choice for these big clubs. And we were down to one year left on his deal. So for Wolves, who we know have had issues with financial fair play, almost lost Tulian Lopetegui due to broken promises over transfer plans and whatnot this is massive for them as well isn't it to be able to reinvest such a sum of money into potential signings this summer yeah George Mendes promised Wolves to get him out he's found this deal I, this is a real crying shame for me I love Ruben Neves I think he's a top Premier League performer I would implore him to, to sit tight for six weeks I think the transfer market will look very different in six weeks he is second and third on a lot of teams lists from Liverpool to United to Newcastle, a lot of teams like Ruben Neves a lot. He's just not first lit on the on, first on on the docket. I think the, the Saudi bid isn't going anywhere. And if I was Ruben Neves, I'd sit tight until August, see what the lie of the land is. He might end up getting a big move. He's good enough. He really is good enough. He, he's that he he's shone in this Wolves team, and it hasn't been that good for quite a while. It, it, it's it's an interesting one. Um, I think it'll be a big deal for Saudi to get him, you know, a real proven international peak of his powers. But nothing against Saudi Arabia. I hope he doesn't go there. I hope he stays in the Premier League. But we'll see. If 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 he's going to decide on his move in next week or so, it will be at Saudi. But I think if he waits six weeks, he may have other options. We shall see over the coming days what Ruben Neves decides to do. Let's shift to Manchester City, shall we? Multiple Premier League winners, treble winners last season, won their first Champions League. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there's not going to be a glut of players leaving the club this summer. We know Pep Guardiola likes to freshen things up. He certainly doesn't like to keep players who potentially have got one eye on the exit door. We're going to start with Kyle Walker, Graham. He doesn't necessarily have his eye on the exit door, so to speak, but he does have options away from City. One year remaining on his contract, interest from Bayern Munich. We've reported on interest from Saudi Arabia again in the past week or so. Where are we at with him potentially moving to to the Bundesliga and uniting with Thomas Tuchel? Yeah, he's not as he's not like a Bernardo Silva who wants to leave. That's a definite definite. 
But he, this all stemmed from, I'm told, from him not starting the Champions League final. He was a bit put out of that. He wasn't happy. His form in the last six weeks has been phenomenal. There's been no one in, no defender in world football playing better than Kyle Walker. And he didn't start that final. I think that hurt him a lot. It really did. He's got another year at City. They're happy for him to sit out and possibly sign an extension. No, they won't give him a two-year one, but another year, another year here and there. He's obviously got Sheffield United interest. They offered him a long-term deal to go there. West Ham, you always time Toby like him a lot. We've reported on that before. I just think Walker isn't decided yet. He really isn't. I think if he, as you say, if he stamps his feet and says, look, I'm going, then City will allow him to leave. Bayern Munich are an option for him. They really are. You know, they're losing Benjamin Pavard. They could, they could upgrade with Kyle Walker. That's, I think that's the way Thomas Two Kelsey is. He's saying, look, we might lose Pavard, but look, we can actually get someone who's better. We might land in our feet here. So I think that's why, you know, they're asked the question on him. So I've been trying, I think it's down to Kyle Walker this Toby. It really is. If he wants to stay, he can. But he, you know, he's 32, he's fit. He will, he'll probably get another year on top of that. It's all dependent on Walker, but he wasn't happy about missing that Champions League final. And I fully understand why he wasn't. Still one of the best right backs in world football, isn't he, Sean? Kyle Walker? Yeah, absolutely. But it is quite madness, you know, I think it was the start of April when Pep said he simply cannot play in the system. He's not he's not up to scratch. And then he's ended the season and we've come full circle again and Kyle Walker's one of the best defenders in the world. I still really rate him very highly. Um, even though he's 33, you know, he doesn't know if he's losing his pace anytime soon. I think he can still play at the top level for a while yet. Um, I think if he wants a change of scenery, then Bayern would be a good move because maybe you're not under as intense pressure as you are maybe with Man City, especially now that they're kind of, they've got this target on their backs now, they're three-time Premier League winners. They just won the treble. Um, but I think he feels like he's just been part of that core for so long. I think it, I think he should probably stay and keep going and keep building that legacy as long as he could. I think that he is, he has a chance to go down if he's not already that's the best right back in Premier League history. So I think you can continue building on that. And just a quick line, Graham, on Calvin Phillips. Uh, tipped by some to be a make-weight in a potential Man City move for Declan Rice. Are we any closer to knowing if he's going to be at the Etihad next year, play just shy of 300 minutes of Premier League football last year, clearly wants more action, might have options to leave City this year, but is that what he's thinking? Where's Calvin Phillips currently at? He he, he wants to stay. We know that. However, my understanding is... Gareth Southgate's made it quite clear to him if he has another season like he's just had, what was it? Was it two starts or something? Something ridiculous like that. If he has the same amount of starts, he won't be going to Euros. So he has to have that in the back of his mind, guys. He really does. We know West Ham love him. They bid for him before. Even if it's not part of any, any rice bid or potential deal, I think West Ham will be backing for him, really do. And Newcastle like him as well. I think as it stands, Phillips wants to stay, but I think the more he thinks about it, the more you may look for a move. And City are going to be doing a few more deals as well. Their own interest in Kimmich, Joshua Kimmich, still isn't over yet. We're still only in June. We're not even in July yet. So there's going to be a lot more happening around City. Bernardo Silva, his future, another one who's been offered to Saudi, but looks like he really quite fancies PSG. He'll be the messy replacement, quite a nice fit. But there's going to be quite a lot of exit here at City. Um, Riyad Mahrez, another player who's got an offer from Saudi, there's going to be a bit of work to be done in this City squad. And even then, I'm just not sure where Phillips fits in. You know, I don't think he does. And I think the the longer we go into the window, Toby, I think once West Ham get their Declan Rice money, then it'll get interesting. It really will. I think they'll 
they'll give Phillips a decision. They'll give him a decision to make. Well, we'll do a quick segue back to Bayern. Uh, Carl Walker, one of many targets for them. We'll just do a quick line on Kim Min Jae, Graham, a, a player Manchester United have liked for a long time. A release clause in his Napoli contract that we've spoken about on the podcast over the past few weeks. Bayern Munich have suddenly taken the lead, it seems here. Are they going to get him? Are they going to snare him away before Manchester United are able to act? Well, Manchester United being talks with with um, his personnel. Um, we've been talking about a deal. Newcastle and PSG looked, but wasn't really taken serious. But yeah, from our understanding, Napoli sources are telling us they think it's a done deal with Bayern. They think come the start of July, he's Bayern Munich bound. As we alluded to on the show last week, United's issue is Harry Maguire. If they don't get rid of him, can they bring another centre-half in? That may be impacted on things. It really might be. So, yeah, from our understanding, from what Napoli is saying to us, um, they believe um, he's buying beyond. Obviously, buying because a release clause, they don't even have to have contact with Napoli if they're going to pay the whole thing. So, it, it's a tough situation for Napoli to be in. Um, not the same as what they've got going on with Kavishvili and, and Victor Osman. But yeah, they're really helpless, Napoli. They can't stop him going. It doesn't look like they're going to be able to because he's already rejected that new deal, which would have taken the clause out. Another issue for Manchester United is we're still talking about David De Gea and a new contract. He was not included last week on the retained list for Manchester United. Seven players left Old Trafford last week. United stated that talks are ongoing with De Gea, but this is rumbling on and on and on and on. Graham, you and Sean have done a story this morning. Where, where are United at then? Because David De Gea, Eric Ten Hag, has made it clear that he wants him to stay. But that was a good two, three months ago that he first publicly stated that and it's still not done. Are United I, moving in a different direction here? I think United are in danger of making a real hash of this window. Really, I think it's, it, it's bordering on disastrous already for me. The new goalkeeper was not in their plans. We know that. It wasn't in their plans. Now they are looking at the goalkeeper market. They could be forced to spend at least a quarter of their summer budget on a position they weren't intending to do so. That is a disaster for United. This deal should have been done months ago. It was agreed ages ago. You know, if Eric Ten Hag wants him to stay, just do it. You know, ignore public opinion. We... You know, public opinion got involved when they almost signed Cody Gakpo to play centre-forward because all United fans didn't think he was a centre-forward. Hey, look at him at Liverpool now. If Ten Hag wants a deal doing United, just do it. And I, I, I'm I'm bemused by what, the, what they're doing here. You know, they always wanted De Gea to be on good terms, which it still is. But, you know, this is not a position that they need to do. The, the centre-forward, the number nine, was a priority for United. And that's just not getting anywhere at the moment. They're being priced out of that at the moment. I think this, at the moment, this window is a complete disaster. Fair enough, there's, there's six weeks to go, if not more. They can do an awful lot. But from the United team, who, if it's time to hear, they have been a Harry Kane de Jong away from being title challengers. Them deals are not happening now. And the players that they're looking at, they're being linked after a Hoyland and Mount coming in. That's not good enough. And and then you spend a quarter of your budget on De Gea. I'm, I'm really concerned for United. I really am. I think the way it's going off the field at the minute, um, from spending fifty million on Mason Mount to looking at another goalkeeper, who obviously read the stories more, and Sean will fill us in on details now of who they're looking at. They didn't need a goalkeeper this summer. I, I really don't think they did. 
Well, as I said, Sean, you co-authored this story with Graham this morning. So United actively looking now for a new goalkeeper. Uh, there's kind of a crossover between who United are looking at and who Tottenham have been looking at. So one goalkeeper in particular who Spurs have been red hot on, who they're perhaps calling on. Could that allow Manchester United to step in? And of course, I haven't said who this is. So who are we talking about? We are, of course, talking about David Rea of Brentford. Um, Brentford have said all along that they want 40 mil for him, even though he's got one year left in his deal and they've already signed um, his successor in Mark Flecken. Um, Spurs, there's just been no movement. Um, neither side really can, um, willing to give an inch in those negotiations. They've told Rea that they could just walk away. Um, that could allow Man United to come in. Um, and if Man United do want just to bring in a goalkeeper that, even if they keep De Gea, maybe that's one that can kind of compete with him. If they just wanted to put down their money and be like, we just want this sorted, he's there at 40 mil. They could just do it. They have more of a kind of that financial flex than Spurs do. Um, from a Spurs point of view, that's really disappointing because that is the ideal top target for them. Um, I've kind of been been willing it to existence, haven't I, like Graham, all year? So, uh, any, any news on Raya? Any Raya updates? Anything, heard anything? Um, but yeah, I, can, I could see that happening with Man United. Uh, Man United also looking at Diogo Costa. I think we've reported all year that that's one on their list. And then could get involved with the Andre Onana business. Ten Hag obviously worked with him at Ajax. Um, if they want to kind of completely reinvent the wheel with how they play from the back, then that is the way to go because you saw in that Champions League final, you saw in the rounds leading up to it, you see some of these compilations that are going around on Twitter and YouTube now. Uh, that guy loves to play in midfield, basically. So... Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting market for goalkeepers now. Do you think Raya would be the safest long-term bet for United of that trio? Diogo Costa's been impressive at Porto, but still relatively new to the top level. Probably, you'd say, last 18 months, he's been really prominent. Andre Onana, Ajax Inter, he hasn't always been flavour of the month, has he? He's had a few ups and downs in his career. Is Raya the safe option here for United if they do make a bid for someone? I'm not sure. I think the thing that I've been thinking in my mind is because people don't watch Brentford week in, week out, because they're not on TV in the UK, at least every single week, sometimes Ray might get away with things that would be highlighted more if he played for a bigger club. So um, there's, been, there's been quite a bit of interesting discourse recently. Um, I got a message from somebody the other day saying, do they think Raya is bad with his short passing, but good with his long passing? And I kind of just thought to myself, like, bad with his short passing? What? And it, apparently there was a video going around of him, like kind of, scuffing short passes. I don't think it's a problem, but it would be something that would be kind of highlighted if he was a big club, especially if he's Man United, especially if he is going to be the long-term replacement to David De Gea, who's been there for so long now. Um, I think he's probably a safe bet for someone like Spurs, where the scrutiny won't be as massive. Um, but yeah, he's still an option. He's still a really good option for them. I just wouldn't say he would be necessarily the safest one. Graham, is that your reading of the situation as well? It's one thing playing for Brentford and it's another playing in the pressure cooker environment of Manchester United, where you're not only on TV every week, you've got millions and millions and millions all around the world looking at your every performance, your every move, your every kick. Everything's scrutinised. It's a different level, isn't it? It is. It really is. And obviously, to hear was, I think it's caught very well with that. And Newton has been a huge fan of his, as we said. David Rea was a name that we talked about in the pod a few months ago. It's someone who United have looked at. But he... You know, age isn't really on his side to a certain extent. What is he now, Sean? Is he 27? Yeah, 27, 27. yeah. Um, 
it's a strange one. You know, as I said, I think United, are, I think they're overthinking it. I really do. I think they are listening to public opinion to a certain extent. You know, Eriton Hag isn't a liar. We don't assume he is. He's always said he wants him to stay, as you said, TC. He wants him to stay. He's good for he's good for another twelve months. He really is good for another. He's just won the Premier League Golden Glove. I saw him some spectacular performance from him. Everton, Man United, I was at Old Trafford for that. Jordan Pickford was sensational, but De Gea was just as good that day. Um, yeah, and and at the United have got they've got a lot of work to do. They really have. And um, but it, you know we talk about budgets and stuff. They weren't budgeting for a goalkeeper in this window. But if they are moving on from De Gea, they lose him for nothing. And then they are going to spend, have to spend at least forty million, unless they went down a Jan Sommer route and get someone who's probably not as good as to here, which I can't imagine them doing at this stage. Dean Henderson isn't good enough. He's shown that he's not good enough to come back and be number one. Yeah, they they they, they back themselves into a corner United here. Then this situation is of their own making. It really is. We'll finish the show this week, Sean. We'll return to Tottenham for a couple of other players. Graham's mentioned that Manchester United's pursuit of a number nine hasn't gone to plan this summer. There's an update on Harry Kane and where Tottenham currently feel they're at um, with him staying at the club. And James Madison as well, Spurs and Newcastle, the two front runners for him, or the two clubs most heavily linked to James Madison. Just fill us in firstly on where where Kane's at and then who is going to get James Madison this summer. Yeah, so with Kane... um... It's been Spurs' position all along. They're confident that they can convince him to stay, that he will sign a new contract. That is what they've believed for the better part of a year now. Um, I'm le- I'm less optimistic that that'll be the case, but it does feel like he is definitely going to be suiting up in a Spurs shirt on the first day of the season. Um, we reported a few weeks ago, Graham, that the, the view from across Europe that is, is that he would stay. I would be quite shocked now if he were to move. Um, and I, I think it's just going to be a long-running saga the whole of next season. Um, is he going to stay? Probably not. But it will be there. Where is he going to go? Um, and I guess that's a problem that Ange Postecoglou is going to have to contend with. Um, Maybe one of the biggest Bosmans of all time. What he got? It's going to be if he do, if he does stay at Spurs. Can you imagine the just imagine how much Harry Kane stories you're going to be doing, Sean, between now and next year? It's going to be fascinating. Well, yeah, it's going to be it's like November, and it's going to you're going to hear something. It's going to be like. Oh, Arsenal looking around and it's going to be like, oh, it's the worst day of my life. Um, <laughs> then um, if, Real, if Real don't sign Mbappe, they don't do anything. Then it's going mm. to be remarkable. And they'll be, linked, they'll be linked to every major club in Europe by this time next year. He really will. Yeah. And then so with James Madison, um, there was a report in the, I think it was the Northern Echo yesterday, that the belief was Spurs were ahead of Newcastle and that Madison would prefer to move the Spurs. Um, not much has changed in this race, really. Um, Leicester is still asking for... 60 mil, even though they were relegated. Um, Newcastle haven't really firmed up an offer yet, um, but they know what the price tag is. They've held talks. I think Spurs, I'm optimistic that Spurs will go out and get him. Um, I think maybe, I can imagine Madison will be a lot more important to Spurs than he would be to Newcastle. Um, in that report yesterday from that Norwalker, it did seem as if he would just prefer to live in London rather than the North East, and that's a kind of less of a burden on his family. Um, but yeah, I think it's interesting as well, actually, because we play, we Spurs play Leicester in a preseason friendly in Thailand. I think it's on around mid July. Um, I'm hoping they'll wear those EFL Championship badges for that game just to really rub it in. But I think it'd be interesting to see um, is he still there by then? Is he in that squad for Leicester? Is he 
going to do a half for each side. Who knows? Well, I'll tell you one situation you won't want. It's James Madison lining up for Leicester and Christian Romero not getting the memo that A, it's a friendly <laughs> and B, not to <laughs> scythe him down at the knee. Um, Graham, just finally from you, are you surprised that Madison might turn away from Champions League football and offer at Newcastle if they weren't forthcoming with a bid? If it was a straight-up choice between Newcastle and Spurs, are you surprised he wouldn't want to go to the northeast? I think if it was a straight-up choice, it'd be very, very close. It really would be. But Newcastle have been quite firm. They don't want to particularly go over 40. They've been 50 for him last summer, if you remember, guys, which is a bit strange. They're not going there again. Leicester standing firm. It's it's a fascinating one. It really is. Um, I think if it was a level playing ground, I think Newcastle would fancy the chances. But as it stands, they're not willing to meet his to meet those demands. And I think Spurs probably will. That's why I give Spurs the edge at the moment, because I think Spurs are more likely... To, to make Leicester's demands. This is purely speculation on my part as well, but you know the whole last few days, you know, Luke Shaw got asked about kind of the joking tapping up in the England camp. I do wonder if Madison's been talking to Kane and just been like, if Kane's like, I'll probably be at Spurs next season, if that's in his thinking as well. And Madison can think, even if he's there for a season, I could probably rack up so many assists, goals, just playing with him. Like the, the, the pull of wanting to play with him, even if it's for only one year. You mean Callum Wilson doesn't have that same pull? <laughs> How many goals did Callum Wilson have last season? Like 19? Pretty good return. Well, I would say he's in England. Is he in England camp, Callum Wilson, at the moment? Yeah, is he? Yeah. Yes, yeah. he so, is. And Kieran Trippier, Newcastle were quite well represented in that England camp, actually. But there'll be, uh... More so than Spurs, it's only Kane in there. Well, there you go then. They, look, they, they can double up on him. So they're literally more Newcastle players in that England squad, which, which says where we are for those two teams at the moment. Kane to wow. Newcastle next summer. We'll round off the show in a in a way that Scott would be proud of. If James Madison does go to Spurs, he can at least tell Harry Kane what it's like to win a trophy. (laughs) And on that note, um, that's all we've got time for on this week's Talking Transfers. A quick reminder to please subscribe to the show on all of your major podcast platforms so you can keep up to date with the latest transfer stories. And to follow us all individually on Twitter at Toby underscore Cudworth, at Graham Bailey and at Sean DZ Walsh. You can follow at 90min underscore football for all of the 90min social channels. And if you want to read in further depth the things that we've spoken about today, you can head to the website 90min.com forward slash talking transfers. But that's it for another week. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you soon. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.